Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Seminole Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Peller, and here for another football-focused episode as we build toward the season this summer. Uh, no Max or John this week, but I think you'll like what we've got lined up here for you. Hopefully make you a bit smarter. We're starting our schedule previews for the year, kind of as we hit this, I don't know, off-season lull, I'll call it. We won't look at every game on the podcast because, quite honestly, I don't think Duquesne needs an episode. But, you know, we're going to talk Clemson, UM, UF, and if you want one for all the games, we do have articles written online, so... Go ahead and check those out as they come out here on the pod. You know, we're going to go ahead and get started with the uh, I'm calling it the true season opener Labor Day weekend in New Orleans against LSU to help me out and get through it. Go ahead and bring on a, one of the Tigers beat writers. There's uh, really nobody better than the athletics Brody Miller. Uh, he's also the host of Hold That Podcast with Chris Branch, another writer at the athletic Brody man. Thanks so much for making time for us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Uh, you know, it's good. Uh, uh, I guess I, it's a perfect time for me to apologize to the people. Normally we publish on Monday and uh, <laughs> I I got hit with some kind of bug over the weekend and my voice was shot yesterday. So I appreciate Brody moving to today and jumping on with us. So thanks for everybody being patient too. And, and oddly enough, between the two of us, it's, it's, uh, I think it's me who's more likely to be the LSU Homer. Uh, you're a, <laughs> you're, you're a journalism guy. And uh, I think you went to, was it Indiana? You're, I you're did. From, yeah. I'm from a big Jersey. So yeah. Yep. Yeah, not a, not an LSU guy. I'm the LSU grad between the two of yeah. us. So trust Brody's knowledge. He knows what he's talking about. Um, obviously, a lot more than I do. You guys can bag on me whenever this game ends up going through, however it does. Uh, <laughs> I think the easy, easiest place to start with is in Brody. And for an FSU fan, you're probably looking at LSU's program. And um, the, the, the quick questions are, how did you end up 
firing a coach who won a championship after a perfect season in less than three years when we seem to be struggling to get to a bowl game? And how did you manage to pull Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame? So I guess we can just start with with Ogeron and how that one kind of fell apart there. Yeah, and it's almost like both those questions almost are tied together in, in right. some ways, right? Because you you fire at Ogeron because it's a program that, just to go big picture for a second, it's a program that between three coaches over the last, what, 23 years, each one's been able to win a title. And, you know, not to start this one like bashing anybody, but the last two of them, Les Miles and Ed Ogeron, aren't exactly revered as, uh, you know, brilliant <laughs> gurus or anything like that, or right. all-time coaches. And the things weren't always run smoothly, and they still have been this program that's able to get to titles, even if they're inconsistent and all those things. So I think what you saw was a program that, yeah, that was, I mean, that's the best LSU team ever, and it's not close. I mean, that's an all-time, maybe the best, one of the best football teams ever. But, and Ed Ogeron deserved credit for that. Like, he, I, I was there through all of it. Like, he built a lot of that he fixed a lot of problems he did but things went off the rails you know as well as I I mean just from culturally locker room stuff I think they had a lot of recruiting misses that seemed good on paper but they weren't really guys who were going to develop at LSU or had other off the field issues and just all of a sudden you know the the infrastructure just slowly got kind of torn away and you got to a point where by they're at the Texas Bowl in January and they had I th- wasn't it 39 I'm blanking it, I think it's 30, 39 I think it was 39 scholarship players available and yes there's a lot of context to that right opt out time we're in all that but that was a reflection of the roster management on, in that program so yes in a vacuum you know you look at it from a distance and you think like hey you know you can't fire a coach two years after a title I get that but Scott Woodward the AD obviously he sees the inside and he saw this was only about to get drastically worse. So you had to kind of, and then you add in the off the field stuff and Ojan kind of doing some silly things. And, and yeah, I think it became even <laughs> a little easier. So yeah, that, that's why you fire him. And that's the same reason I think like connected to that is why you're able to get Brian Kelly, because like we said, it's a program that has proven they can win. If you get the right guy there, I mean, Nick Saban, like there's an argument you could make that in the last 40 years, LSU has only had one time ever where it actually had the, like, you know, one of the five best coaches in the country when it had Saban for four, for five years. And he immediately got that thing into such a well-oiled machine that to our point, Miles and Ogeron could win with that <laughs> infrastructure. Cause that was even more than I think a lot of people know, like that Saban system, Saban infrastructure even though people ran it not as well, like that kind of was the system for, you know, the, the other two coaches, they kind of ran with a lot of the stuff you built. So point being, there is this idea. And I think Scott Woodward surely believe this, that if and Brian Kelly did that, this is a sports car. This is one of the four best jobs in college football, just from so many reasons we could discuss, right. That you're well aware of that. If you get the right guy, they can win multiple titles. They can dethrone, maybe not dethrone Bama, but be right there. And more importantly than even just the title stuff, stop being this up and down roller coaster. Be yeah. this program that can actually like stay at 10 and 11 wins consistently, which I think is so big. And that's why I mean, I think, and then you compound that with Brian Kelly being this coach who, you know, took Notre Dame from 20 plus years of kind of being stuck in mediocrity to one of the tough, tougher jobs in the country, much more than a lot of people know, and made that into a perennial 10, 11, 12 win, go to the playoff every few years or a national title game program. 
you know, you have this fascinating system right now of, okay, we're going to find out, did Brian Kelly, did he have Notre Dame to its ceiling? And now if you get him at LSU, he can get even more, you know, because that isn't quote unquote easier is not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's maybe not as difficult. Higher ceiling. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But like, did he get to a ceiling and can LSU get more out of it? Or was Kelly in a weird way holding Notre Dame back a smidge from getting even higher and he might have the same problems as LSU? I don't know the answer to that, but that I think is why, because he wanted to win a title. He wanted to get over that hump and he felt like he had done everything in his power at Notre Dame and he wanted to kind of, you know, show he could hang with the big boys, the best of college football. Because I don't think anyone really disagrees. He's one of the, I don't know, four, you know, I think most would say three top coaches in college football. You know, people have their issues with him, but you can't really argue that over the last 30 years. So it's like, can he actually prove he's as good as Saban? I don't know. Yeah, it's a classic go win a title type thing where, where he looks at LSU as there's my chance. I guess then the, the next obvious follow-up question is, you know, at, people look at Brian Kelly and, and obviously the joke from when he was hired was he's he's not Louisiana. He's, he's starched. He's, you know, whatever it may be. Um, when he comes into Baton Rouge and takes over, obviously you mentioned 39 scholarship players. There's a lot that needs to happen. What... I guess culturally has the program become, is it a, is it a buttoned up type thing? Is it, um, you know, he's looked at, I guess, as CEO, he's going to come in and, and write the Ogeron ship. Is, is it in that, in that vein? You know, it's yes. I, I mean, he is a, the thing I have noticed these last few months is that is like, I hate the term CEO. I think it's right, like, it's awful. <laughs> even though I think it's accurate, like it's just become abused and like has its own connotation now that people think it means like you aren't actually involved and it's You're like, not a real that, coach. Yeah. No like in like, the dirt. Yeah. So that's why I avoid it, but it's accurate. Like Brian Kelly, that's the part that's been impressive. I have a lot of other questions and criticisms, all those things, but that dude knows how to run an organization. Like he is a like Saban. And I think it's him and Saban are the two best at this. And urban, a, there was a time when urban was there too, where the best that just process running things from the top down, understanding the stuff that sounds boring, like organizational structure and like understanding the roles that you want your staff having and who reports to who and understanding accountability in your program and how to like get a system where guys actually are held accountable for their actions and what they're not doing or what they are doing those things he's really, really good at. And you could see it by March. Like, oh, I think he's going to figure that part out. I don't know if he's going to figure out the football, all that. But LSU has been this program that has been, from just raw talent, one of the four best teams in college football for years. But they're just always seen, whether in some of it was scheme stuff for a while, all that. But a lot of it really had been, like, it just felt a little undisciplined at times. And it felt like there were always those issues and you know people getting let off the hook and i think you know kelly's done a really good job with that and he's done a really good job with the process stuff and like you watch an lsu practice now even like it just looks different than it did under ogeron and miles you know like everything just feels like controlled chaos and everything feels like it has a direct purpose all that stuff so i do think he's proven like he is as advertised in that sense the questions that we're going to come away with now going forward are Recruiting, you know, like can yeah. he actually get these top five rosters he needs to every year? It, this this next month is going to tell us a lot, quite frankly. Or you know, scheme wise, you know, can he actually match wits day to day when his talent's close to these you know elite teams? You know, those things. Yeah, we'll find out. But I am really intrigued just that that concept of can LSU suddenly have a whole new ceiling when it has a grown up in the room? 
Yeah. And, and a lot of those program questions are going to be, uh, for, you know, from a Florida state fans perspective, going to probably matter more. I think it's 2024 yeah. is the next time there after this so, game. Yeah. yeah I if think I'm it's wrong, early though. I'm blaming you. But yeah. yeah, that's fine. Something <laughs> like that. I just tried to find it. And, and I, all I found was like series records, but I think, I think it's 2024. Right, yeah. Um, it'll matter more then but this year, obviously we talk about it a lot um, in terms of on this podcast about Florida state changing coaches a couple of times on most recent years is that the roster turnover becomes a problem. <laughs> guys leaving and your recruiting classes suffer as well. Obviously the transfer portal makes a difference there. Where is this roster? I mean, you talked about having 39 guys at the end of the last season in the bowl game, and and you basically got to build a full roster. And and from what I seem to tell, it's a grab bag of guys from all over the place. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's well put because it's like, if you are just looking at this, in a pure on paper point of view, yeah, it's a good enough team to win a lot of games, you know, but I'm a big believer that like, I think sometimes people in this portal era oversimplify like talent acquisition. It's like, <laughs> yeah, LSU added 15 transfers. And but I, I think most of them are pretty good players are definitely were at their last stop and in a vacuum. It's like, yeah, it's a good addition, but I'm just a big believer that like, it's not a given that that's going to be an obvious, like, it's not a video game, right? Where you're taking right. an 83 overall, then they're an 83 overall at the next place. Like they're going from um, a, some, a conference USA school to a SEC school, or they're going from the big 12 to this, or, you know, it's just, or they're just changing schools, which is a huge life transition. Like, so some guys might thrive even more. You see that all the time too. So I'm not like saying this is an all negative, but there's a scenario where all these additions are just like, yep, great. You know, they had all four of their top four corners are, are transfers. So like all four of them, I'm like, yeah, those are good players. Good addition. But there's also a scenario we could tell me the cornerback, you know, this is one of the worst cornerback rooms in the SEC because it's so in flux. So yeah, I look at this roster and the way I always put it to people is, and like we said, the Ogeron stuff, right? Like the infrastructure was just weak. Yeah. The top of this roster, you know, the top, I don't know, 12, 14, whatever players are fantastic. As good as most teams top 12 14 players you know they might have three or four first round picks if things break right they got stars all sec guys they really do but it's about the second team and it's about like when one or two guys go down which they will like that's a given that is where i really wonder what this team is so whenever i handicap this season i'm always like i always not that we don't get that far ahead but like i always put them somewhere in the eight win range and, and i say that to say I think they're probably going to win one or two like top 15 games because on the right night they can. Yeah. And they're also going to lose to a Mississippi state or, you know, maybe, maybe Florida state because they have a lot of stuff. That's just, they're not, you know, they, they don't have that depth that usually breeds consistency. So it's a really fascinating roster yeah, because the D line might be as good as any, like I, I honestly, like it's as good as any in the sec. Uh, I love the receivers. You know, there's so many areas where like, that's a strength that can beat anybody. But the O-line has been a weak position for a long, long time at LSU. And I like this O-line you know, on paper, but it's still just a ton of unknown. Or that yeah. cornerback room, there's so much reason for concern. So, yeah, it's a – I'm repeating myself, but it's a top-heavy roster with stars, but just not much, you know, certainty. Well, for Florida State, I mean, you know, I guess the, it's, a, it's a good and bad because you get them early in the season. So it's a, it's a combination of the – maybe they haven't gelled but you also probably won't have the bumps and bruises of maybe they're down one of those top 12 to 14 guys that you talked about, but I guess you, you'd probably take your chances on, here's a bunch of guys who are going to be on the field in their first competitive games together yeah. and let's see what happens. 
Um, I, but I was going to go to New Orleans, but I, I really want to ask you before we keep going too far. <laughs> this quarterback room is yeah. certainly interesting. I know like for Florida State, it's, it's the, their big question on the roster is can their quarterback take the next step? Can Jordan Travis be the leader for LSU? It's who the hell is it going to be? Yeah, you know, and you talk to different people. I tend to be on the side of, I think they have three guys who are kind of good enough to play. You know, like, I don't think it's necessary, but I know some people in the same beat who are like, I kind of think it's none of them are that good. So, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where I tend to be a little optimistic sometimes, and I'm usually wrong. So, but I look at it as, okay, you got Miles Brennan, who is a sixth year guy who has in theory been supposed to be the starter for three years now, but just everything has kind of gone wrong for the guy, right? You know, he had three SEC starts in 2020, averaged like 370 passing yards a game in SEC games. You know, he's not bad, but went down for the rest of the season with the ab injury. Then the next year, going to be in a QB competition, breaks his arm in a fishing accident. So, like, he's just – first off, you have to worry about if he's ever going to be durable enough to be a full-time starter. That's just a real concern. And two, But it's kind of funny how the framing with him is, like, I think now he's framed as, like, the boring game manager safe option where I'm like, <laughs> that's just funny for somebody like for me, who's been here so long. And obviously you've been following it too. Like where that's never been him. He's the huge arm, like yeah. cannon guy who throws deep balls as well as anybody. So I think he's kind of, I think he's the steadiest option, but I think that might be like underplaying kind of what he is. Cause he is this really strong arm passer. So it's like, he's the safe one. Jane Daniels is this guy who has real problems as a passer, the transfer from Arizona state, obviously like he, his accuracy just doesn't look great. And I don't think that's ever going to suddenly be great, but he had something running the ball and nobody else does. And it's really special. Like it's the kind of thing that, and I, I think the, the argument you could make is say the coaches know, you know, the offensive line's not that great. Hypothetically you kind of sometimes want that guy to be like a neutralizer out there, you know, to be like, yeah. Hey, everything else isn't working. I need somebody who can just go make a play. I think there's a real argument for that. And by the way, he's experienced. I think he's the most experienced by far two and a half, basically your starter, all those things. There's an argument there, but he's also probably the worst passer. And then Garrett Nussmeyer is the one that I don't think anyone thought he's a redshirt freshman. I don't think anyone thought of him as really in the competition, but then I talked to more and more people throughout spring ball and it's early, but they're like, he probably had the best spring. You know, he looked fantastic and he kind of is the best mesh of both. He has this kind of playmaker run around gunslingery vibe that it can been, and he's a live arm throws the best ball of the four quarterbacks in that room by far. He's really exciting and he's smart too, but I think he just, his freshman year, he was this just risky guy who made reckless decisions and put everybody in trouble and all that. So I think they're kind of trying to get him harnessed a little bit, but there's an argument he's the best option. So my that did not help you your question at all. <laughs> I, I genuinely, and Brian Kelly even said this after the spring game, he's like, I think this actually, we, we're coming out of the spring game thinking it's harder for LSU to, you know, to make this decision than before, just because I think everybody made a case. Everybody looked good at times. So I think it's like, I think you can make an argument. Daniels gets the day one start because, you know, he's the big transfer and you know how those like the politicking goes on there and all that, but there's a short leash, but I just don't know because it's like Brennan's the safest. Nussmeyer might just be the best. Yeah. So it's going to (laughs) be a fascinating few months because I think we'll know more in August when I think they're going to put more of the actual offensive scheme in, if that makes sense. Yeah, really get get more to who can execute what they want to see out on the field better. 
Um, I, so we don't drag this on too long. I know we're probably already over what I told you before. Oh, you're fine. No, you're good, man. The, um, the names to know if I'm a Florida state fan and I turn on the TV that, that labor day Sunday, I guess is what yeah, we call that day. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the first one is probably going to be, uh, Keishon Boutte outside of him. I mean, I'll let you reel on him first as well, but you yeah. know, who are the people that people need to know? Yeah. Keishon Boutte is probably the biggest household name. You know I mean? There's, he honestly is probably on his way to winning the Blitnikoff last year before a pretty gruesome ankle injury. And he should be, he's hundred percent from what I've heard. He's on pace to be good, but still there was, he's had a weird off season where he had to get a second surgery on that ankle. It kind of, you know, Kelly called him out publicly for not really being around the program enough and kind of hinting at doing too much with NIL deals and all that <laughs> stuff. But anyway, that's a unnecessary preface to say, I'm just curious to see if he's back to like hundred percent Keishon Butte, but yeah, he should be, in a vacuum, one of the two or three best receivers in the country if he's himself. I think the next one is Mason Smith, the defensive tackle, or DN in a 3-4. That I, I my hot take is I think he ends up being, you know, the Bednar Bednarik's D-line, right? No. Uh, but uh, like one, I think he could be the best D-line in the SEC or the country if things break right. I just think he's a holy crap special guy who could play inside, outside. He's like 6'6", 330, but runs fast. Like he's a actual freak in the truest sense. Like he's 300 something, but looks slim enough to play edge. So he's the one I just think people will be a household name by the end of this year. He was really good as a freshman, but then just kind of got banged up a little, all that stuff. Um, I think some others, a lot of them are on the D-line. B. Joe Jalari, the you know edge rusher, you know probably going to be a stand-up outside linebacker this year he's on a lot of first round draft boards. You know, he's a guy who's really athletic off the edge. I think he's one to watch. Ollie Gay on the other defensive end spot, you know, more of a true DN, you know, six, I think he's another six, six guy, which is holy crap, long arms and, and, you know, just always kind of creating havoc, even though sack numbers aren't that special. I think he's another one to really watch. And then the, really the whole receiver room has a chance to be a strength. Like there are probably five deep there of guys who, whether it be Jack Besh, Malik Neighbors, um, shoot, uh, Brian Thomas, just guys who they're all like rising sophomores, every single one of them. And they're just all have potential to be Aussie guys all had really great moments last year. And the one I forgot to mention is running back, John Emery, former yeah. five-star and I, as somebody covering this team has almost been exhausting. Cause like each year you're like, all right, this is Emery's year. And never happens as you're well aware right yeah Whether i'm sure last year it was uh week by week everyone's like is emory cleared yet is he cleared exactly. yet it was uh academic issues right yes yeah freshman year it was everyone thought he was going to win as a freshman clyde edwards lair steals not steals but ends up having this great year sophomore year he just disappoints junior year it looks like he's finally going to break out and like you said academic issues but everything does seem lined up for him to be in, he's in the best shape of his life all the academic stuff does seem figured out. Kelly has kind of raved about him, like in a way he doesn't necessarily rave about people often about the changes he's made and the things he's doing off the field and just how kind of focused he looks. So I think there's a lot of belief that he's going to have like one of those just special kind of breakout years, which anyone in that building could tell you he's been talented enough for for a while. So I think John Emery would be the, you know, your dark horse if you were like sprinkling out some money on something, you know, breakout <laughs> guy. Uh, I think he'd be a fun one. Um if there was something to let them down, and I feel like I'm going to go ahead and read between what you were saying before, it sounds like that answer is the offensive line, which to put a Florida State spin might be good with their defensive line as their strength. So would that be the spot or that that chaotic DB room? Yeah, I think at this point in time, I lean corner a bit more, but they're, but yeah, it's, it's corner and, and O line. You're absolutely right. You know, I think I go cornered, even though the addition of seven banks from Ohio State does make you feel better. 
I just go back to, you know, we'd be at spring practice and, you know, it, first off, like we said, none of these guys have ever played a game for LSU. So any, like any notion that anybody's like, oh yeah, you're confident. You are misguided. <laughs> like, cause you have never seen any of them play for LSU. So I think it's going to be tricky because Jarek Bernard Converse from Oklahoma state, all big 12 on what, maybe the first or second best defense in the country last year at Oklahoma state. He should be an all sec corner but he missed all spring with an injury. You just never know. And then he's out in the spring. And then like you solve the depth problems when you're like at practice and you see Demarius McGee or like a walk-on is the first team corner in practice some days, because if one guy's out, they just had no depth. So yes, I do like in a vacuum, the idea of Jared Bernard Converse and seven banks on the outside from Ohio state. And Makai Garner is a really interesting athletic prospect from UL from university of Louisiana, you know, like, and Greg Brooks from Arkansas is the one guy I feel confident about. I feel really – he's a really good nickel. Like, I know he's more of like a nickel-safety hybrid, but he's really good. So it's like, yes, there's reason for optimism there, but just the depth. Corners get hurt a lot, and, like, I just – I think that's my number one concern just because they looked really bad in spring. The other is, of course, O-line. I do feel like you've already seen the floor raise a little there. You know, I think you even saw Brad Davis, the O-line coach came over from Arkansas literally in like July last year because of a weird situation. And he, you know, the O-line was a disaster for weeks. And then like, as the year went on, like around like weeks, like nine, 10, 11, you started seeing some of those like back-end guys actually get a lot better and you saw improvement up front. So I do think Brad Davis is a very good O-line coach. This is going to be his first actual off season really and I, I think you're seeing some young guys really thrive I mean true freshman five-star offensive tackle Will Campbell has looked like a stud which you're never confident about starting a freshman on the O-line but still he just genuinely seems like the real deal so it's like and I just think a lot of guys are getting better I think you know I'm a big believer that O-line half the time is if you have five C's like C plus players that's a good O-line the key is not having weak spots on an O-line. It's not about your best guy, like other position groups. So I think the floor is raised. I think it's going to be steadier. But again, the theme here, you have no assurances. You have no confidence. There's one guy on that O-line that has like played real snaps. And even he had injury problems and Cam wire. So there's just no confidence there. But I do think some there's improvement. So yeah, I think those are the main two. So it seems like LSU basically is is – wildly talented and question marks everywhere. Would yeah, be, I apologize. The... It's really just me repeating like the same phrase in different ways for 20 minutes. Now. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fine. I think if you're a Florida state fan and, and honestly, when I, I mean, like I said, I went to LSU and got together to prepare for this and went, man, I really don't even know where to start on, on the yeah. question marks of this team. Uh, but that, that well, and the way I'd put the it team. to Florida, the way I'd put it to Florida state fans is like, I actually see – I look at UCLA, LSU last year, and granted, yeah. I think Kelly might have things better run than Ogeron, all that stuff. But, like, UCLA was this kind of team that kind of seemed like they maybe were turning a corner at the end of the 2020 season, and they brought back – like, their returning production numbers were really good and, like, from Bill Connolly and all that. And they just, like, were more experienced in this weird, talented, flawed LSU team and wiped the floor with them. And I, I know – please tell me if I'm just flat-out wrong, but I know Florida State's kind of – ranks decently in returning production numbers yep. and they seem like they had some kind of corner turning moments last year. And it's like, I think there is a scenario where they come out and like have their stuff together more than LSU does. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I guess, while you're drawing those parallels, I mean, Florida state certainly needs someone to, to show up in the wide receiver room, which 
unfortunate for them is probably where they'd want to take advantage of LSU from what we're gathering here. Yeah. They're more of a trying to establish the run game and get the legs out. Um, but um, boy, the name escaped me. Is DTR? Was that uh, UCLA's quarterback? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, wow. Dorian Thompson. Wow, we're terrible. Something that's something terrible. Robinson. Yeah. yeah, I played enough DFS. I should know that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, Thompson you know, Robinson. He, yeah, we're, yeah, we're we got it right. He right. smoked him with the legs last year. And, and obviously, you know, it, it's a different whole coaching staff and there's a lot of changes, but yeah. that's where Florida State's going to be. It's is the speedy runner who can use read option and try and beat him with, beat you with it. And that is absolutely what UCLA dragged him with last year. That's going to be fascinating. It's a great point. Yeah. Cause it's like on one end, you're like, okay, LSU's D lines at strength. Maybe they're good at containing that, but it's also a new defense under. Matt House, who I think really, really highly of as a defensive coordinator. I think Matt House is going to be great, but it's just like, it's game one, you know? Yeah. Like maybe they're messy and Florida State can run all over, or maybe that D-line is just so good that they actually contain it. I I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that is going to be such an interesting kind of little chess match. And it is game two for Florida State. They technically, like I, I forgot said, about they also played like Duquesne. UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they get a game to prepare and maybe, you know, who knows? And then again, it's, it's in New Orleans, so you know, LSU's <laughs> backyard. If they, if, if Kelly loses game one there, that might be a real problem. Oh, um, yeah. Don't even like, not that I care who wins that game, but man, my life's going to be exhausting if they lose. That game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I feel the same way. Um, especially on this pod, I'm sure I'll come back yeah. on the, the Sunday after and get, or well, I guess the Monday after and get drag, but, uh, obviously you used to work for NOLA.com or not obviously like that was an obvious thing. And, and you're in Baton Rouge <laughs> yeah. still. Um, before we, we get you out, I don't need your your secret places, but do you have, if I'm an L- a Florida State fan driving over, uh, maybe the spot I need to stop to get a drink, the spot I need to stop and have dinner, wh- what do you have? Yeah, New Orleans, yeah. Um, so if you're looking for like a cool, like kind of bougie, just like cocktail, um, I think there's some great ones. I, there's this like hotel, like this incredibly renovated hotel called the Chloe that is absolutely worth just like getting some drinks and maybe some food and like hang by the pool or something that is high on my list. Um, bar tonique is a really great kind of like divey, but just incredible cocktail bar. So those are some ones that jump to mind food wise. I mean, there's so many, right? Like I right. don't even know where I'd begin, but like some newer ones that people might not have heard of is Mr. Mao is this fantastic, like Asian fusion place that is fantastic. Bijou is another new one in the French Quarter. It's worth checking out. Those are just some new ones that people might not have heard of. But man, yeah, I, I can send you a whole email of thousands. Of <laughs> I was gonna say, I think you might have dropped two more recent than me. Growing up, <laughs> growing up just outside New Orleans, you might you might have gotten me on new places. But yeah, no, I mean, I'll have to hit you up when I come through to make sure I hit the right places. Absolutely, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brody, I, I I really can't say thank you enough. Um, take some time, plug whatever you want to plug your your articles, your podcasts, whatever you want. Ah, no, nah, man, you're good. Yeah, follow me <laughs> at, at Brody A. Miller and yeah, theathletic.com. You know, I think if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, I believe you should be able to get a discount code. So that's cool. But uh, yeah. yeah, man, check us out. But if not, that's fine too. Yeah, well, uh, I, I certainly know um, I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan living here in Tampa and I've started following all the Avalanche beat writers. So if you want to be up yeah. to date, make sure you, you catch up to uh, Brody, follow all of his stuff. Uh, really thanks again I mean really appreciate it we're still uh, what is it 11 weeks 12 weeks away from the game that's what September 4th I think that's Sunday 
Um, we'll have another schedule preview for you next week. I think it's either going to be Louisville or Miami, depending on who says, yeah, we got time. But until then, man, that's a wrap. Oh, 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 oh,